0: Welcome to the Good Old Days of Radio Show. This is John Tufteller, your host. We are well into our October tribute to Mr. Boris Karloff. The whole month of October being Halloween, we thought it'd be a great idea to salute Mr. Karloff and his work in radio. And his daughter, Sarah, has been kind and gracious and wonderful to appear with us on many of these shows, uh, talking about her father and his work in radio and some other things as well. Today we have an episode of Inner Sanctum from 1941, and I'm going to tell you a quick little story about Inner Sanctum. Uh, Boris Karloff appeared on Inner Sanctum 21 times. However, we only have recordings of two or possibly three of them. The early ones from 1941, 42, and 43, when Mr. Karloff did most of his appearances, apparently are lost. When I was working in the late 70s, early 80s in Los Angeles for the uh, radio organization Spurdvac, which stands for Society to Preserve and Encourage Radio Drama Variety and Comedy, I had a call one day from a gentleman who lived out by the ocean And he said that his father had been a huge fan of the Inner Sanctum radio show and had paid a recording service to record each and every episode for the entire run of the series. And he was interested in finding out about donating those transcription discs to SpurdVac. And so I started to make arrangements to do that. And I actually had an appointment to drive to his house to pick up all the transcriptions. And the morning I was supposed to do that, he called me from the hospital and said that he had been moving some of the transcriptions around in preparation for me coming to get them and that he had broken one of the glass transcriptions because during the early period they were not allowed to record on aluminum. They were recording on thin panes of glass. Well, he had apparently dropped or somehow broken one of those 16-inch panes of glass and sliced his arm open in the midst of doing it, severing an artery and requiring him to go to the emergency room. Well, in any case, we postponed the picking up of the transcriptions until he was more able to deal with it. And what happened was when I finally got a hold of him after he was recovered enough to think about doing this again, he informed me that his brother had decided that that he did not want the programs released to anyone and that they were being transferred to a special storage facility up in Northern California which was of great disappointment to me. And as far as I know, those recordings have never surfaced again. I tried finding the brother-in-law at one point, or brother, and could never find them, so I don't know where those are. They're lost. And that's a really <laughs> unfortunate thing, because those early Inner Sanctums had all the great horror stars uh, from Universal doing shows. As I said, uh, Mr. Karloff did 21 of them. Uh, Bela Lugosi did a whole bunch of them. Lon Chaney Jr. did a bunch of them. And almost all of them are missing. It's just sad. So the one that we do have, which we're going to feature on today's show, is from August 3rd, 1941. And it's a version, and I say version, and after you hear it, you'll understand why I say that. It's a version of The Telltale Heart. So before I play this, uh, Sarah, uh, welcome again to the Good Old Days of Radio Show. Do you know if your father had any kind of special relationship with a man named Hyman Brown?
1: I've never heard that name before.
0: Okay. So I don't know. All right. Well, so, so you may have a clue. Hyman Brown was the executive producer of the Inner Sanctum Radio Show, and for some reason... Your father appeared on 21 of them, which is more than anybody else. So I thought perhaps he had some kind of special relationship with Hyman Brown that uh, had him do all of those programs.
1: Um, I don't have any, any knowledge on that subject.
0: Okay. Well, and of course we only have one of them <laughs> or a couple of them from those early days to play because they don't exist. Uh, Maybe they're still in storage in Northern California. Maybe they've been thrown in a dumpster somewhere, but as far as I know, they don't exist. Oh, what a shame. What a loss. Yeah, there's a lot of radio that's lost. Radio was, most of it was recorded. We know that. Um, But over the years, people who held those recordings just didn't think that anyone would care 20, 30, 40, 50 years later. It just never occurred to them. They were done live. They were no rebroadcasts. And they had these big, heavy metal records sitting around and didn't think that anyone would care. So they simply trashed them. And what we do have is a small percentage of what was done. Fortunately, we have a number of the shows with your father on them, but we don't have everything, and it's just sad because some of those things would be just just great if we could could find them. And I look all the time. Every once in a while, some will turn up on the Internet, on eBay, or in in an estate sale somewhere, but not so much anymore. There was a lot of it available back in the 70s and 80s when I first started collecting these things, but uh, it's fewer and fewer now as time goes on. So it's just sad because they would they would just be great. Oh yes, great to hear. And and I'm I'm so happy to hear that you like these things so much and that that they bring joy to you because that that's oh, they great. Do, indeed. Okay, we're going to listen to Inner Sanctum and their version of the Telltale Heart, starring your father, Mister Boris Karloff, from August third, nineteen forty-one. Here we go.
2: Boris Karloff on Inner Sanctum Mystery. Brought to you by the makers of Carter's Pills.
3: Good evening, friend. Now let me welcome you once more to the Inner Sanctum. This is Raymond, your host. Come in, won't you, and sit down. No, no, I'm not being polite. I'd prefer you to sit, you see. Because within the next five minutes, you're going to be so weak in the knees that you won't be able to stand.
2: (laughs) Inner Sanctum Mysteries again has the pleasure of bringing you the famous star of radio, screen, and stage. Now featured in the current Broadway success, Arsenic and Old Lace, Boris Karloff. This evening, Mr. Carloff appears in Robert Newman's dramatization of Edgar Allan Poe's famous story, The Tell-Tale Heart, presented for your entertainment by the makers of Carter's Little Pill, the best friend to your sunny disposition.
3: And now our story, a story based on a tale by the greatest master of the macabre that ever lived. Edgar Allan Poe. The story of a man who could hear not only every sound on earth, but uh, even things that don't exist. So, turn down the lights, call in a friend or neighbor to keep you company, and listen to Boris Karloff as Simon in a telltale heart. It's early evening. The sun is just setting behind a range of low hills. On top of the nearest hill is a huge rambling building surrounded by park like grounds. A road winds from its gates down to the little village below. Down this road comes a man. He's tall, gaunt, his hair snow white. He's so busy with his thoughts that he doesn't see the small dark man who sits by the roadside. But just as he is about to pass him.
4: Good evening.
5: Oh, why, good evening.
4: Nice evening, isn't it?
5: Nice. Why, it's the most wonderful, perfect evening I'll ever know this side of heaven.
4: You don't say.
5: And you can't know what it's like to feel as if you've just risen from the dead. As if your tomb was opened. And you were told that you could return to the world that you knew and loved. Can't I? You can't. You see, my name is Simon. I was a musician. Two years ago, I went stone deaf. Suddenly. Completely. Do you know what deafness means to a musician? It's like dying. Or worse. Like dying and knowing that you're dead. Oh, I went to doctors, but they could do nothing for me. And But finally, one of them sent me to see the doctor who has the place up on the hill here. Dr. Adair? Yes. Dr. Adair. He kept me with him for six months, and now... Now I'm going home again. He cured you? You can hear? Hear? Listen.
4: Listen hard, and tell me what you can hear right now. Nothing very much. The wind? (laughs) Cricket?
5: Cricket and the wind. Do you know what I can hear? I can hear the grass growing, the sap rising in the trees. I can hear the stars moving in their courses. I can hear things that no man ever heard before.
4: Now, do you know why I said that this was the most wonderful evening that ever was? Yes, Simon. But I knew why before. You see, I just left the place up on the hill myself. You left there?
5: You mean... And I was
4: taken there...
5: I was blind. Oh, your eyes, yes. I I haven't noticed before that they are.
4: please. Shall we walk on together? Simon? And just where did you plan to go?
5: Well, I've been thinking about that for weeks now. All the weeks when I couldn't leave my room. I must get used to being able to hear again. Gradually. From my window, I could see an old mill... Just this
4: side of the village. Yes, it's it's deep in the woods, deserted. There's moss on the water wheel, and the door hangs open by one hinge. You mean that you can see it from here? My eyes have become as good as your hearing. You thought of going there, living there? For a while,
5: until I was ready to return to the world. Oliver, why don't you come with me? Then when we are both ready... We can go back together to the world.
4: Yeah.
5: I could do that. Think of what it's going to mean, how much we're going to be able to help people. You with your sight and I with my hearing.
4: Help them? <laughs> yes. Yes, of course. All right, Simon. We'll go to your old mill.
5: This way, Oliver. Up this path.
6: Ozzie! Ozzie! Oh, Someone's coming. Aussie.
5: The farmer, he, he seems to be looking for something. Good evening. I'm looking for my cow. Have you seen her? Well, what kind of a cow is she? A brown and a white one with a crooked horn. Wait. I hear her. She's grazing in a field on the other side of the woods. Hear her? That's almost a mile from here. I have good ears. Good must have ears like a fox.
4: But that field, that's the squire's.
5: How did she get there?
4: You think someone took her?
5: Who would? Well, it's the squire's land, but he's the richest man around here.
4: Why should he have taken my cow? Wait a minute. Ah, let me see. Yes. Yes, I do see someone with your cow. He's just leaving her. You, You can see that? Right through the woods? I have good eyes. Who is it? What's he like? Is he tall, wearing a brown jacket? Yes. I knew it. It's the squire. He's trying to steal my cow. I'd
5: better go get her. Thank you very much. Perhaps I'll see you both again. Perhaps. We'll both be staying around here for a while, there in the old mill. Why did you tell him that, Oliver? Did you really
4: see the squire taking his cow? I saw what he wanted me to see. What do you mean? He hates the squire because the squire's rich and he's poor. But but what? Never mind, Simon. Shall we go on to the mill?
5: Here we are. And it's just the way I knew it would be. Quiet, peaceful, no noises, just sound. And even those are dulled by the
4: waterfall. Yes, it's just the way I knew it would be, too. Dark, dank. The home of the rats and spiders. We'll be happy living here with them. Happy with rats and spiders? Why? Because they're like me. Rats see in the dark, and spiders spin
5: webs. I don't understand you, Oliver. Must you always see the worst, the most evil side of everything? Always. But why? Don't you love people? Don't you think that this is a good
4: world? A good world when I was blind for more than two years? But whose fault was that? What difference does that make? I was blind. And did anyone care that I was? No. Love people. I
5: hate them. But, Oliver, that's wrong. You've no right to hate anyone or anything. What's that? What? It sounds like wings, like... Yes, there it is, There. A swallow. Why, it's frightened, trying to get out. Why, it's beating itself against the wall and... Oh, poor thing. It, it hurt itself. Fallen to the ground. I'd better catch it.
4: Is it badly hurt?
5: No, I I don't think so. Oh, just this one wing. Here,
4: let's see. Perhaps we can uh, put a splint on it, heal it.
5: Do you think so? Here. Here, Oliver. But be gentle. It's still terribly frightened. I will. I will. Oh, Oliver! What are you doing to that bird? Doing blood. You've... Why, you've crushed the swallow. Killed it. I have. You, you killed it deliberately.
4: You think so? I told you we all have some badness deep inside us. Even you. Here you are ready to believe the worst of me, that I'd wantonly crush a a harmless little sparrow to death, and... Simon. What is it? I, I don't know, but there's something in your face. Something that wasn't I don't know
5: what you're talking about. I'm going up to bed.
4: Simon! Simon, wait!
5: Yes, it wasn't he that was blind. It was I, I. Why, oh, he's bad, evil, clean through. He's like one of the spiders he loves so much, lurking here and spinning cunning webs to catch innocent people in. And what he saw in my face just now. There was something there. Something that wasn't there before. Death. Why did this have to happen to me? I was so happy just a little while ago. I loved everyone, the whole
3: world. And now... Now I have to kill him. And here I am, friend. Raymond, your host in the inner sanctum. Who also loves everyone. Everyone. No, oh, Simon has decided he must murder his companion. Not because he wants to, but in order to keep him from spreading the hate and evil he seems to love. <laughs> That's a charming idea. But if Oliver's eyes are as good as he says they are, good enough to see death in Simon's face, how will he be able to do it, hmm? Quite a problem, isn't it? Well, Raymond, everyone has problems. It's the answer that counts. It certainly does, Mr. Herlihy, in a mystery drama. Yes, and in a domestic drama, too. If you don't believe it, listen to what Agnes Vale says to her husband at the dinner table.
4: Oh, Bob, you haven't said a word about the cake, and I baked it especially for your birthday. After 30, no one wants to be reminded of birthdays. Oh, that's silly. Besides, a person's only as old as they feel. Well, if that was the case, I'd be about 60. You mean 90. No one could save up the grouch you've gotten only 60 years. If
3: you felt as irritable, low, and out of sorts as I have lately, you'd be grouchy, too. Of
4: course I would. Anybody would. But so the thing to do is not to feel that way. What can
2: anyone do about it?
4: Very simple, my dear. Try Carter's Little Liver Pills.
2: Right. And when you don't feel good, try Carter's Little Liver Pills. They do the work of calomel, but have no calomel in them. For they are simple pills made of vegetable drugs. They wake up the flow of one of our most vital digestive juices. When this vital juice flows at the rate of two pints a day, it helps to digest our food and bring back the glorious feeling that goes with regularity. Then most folks feel like happy days are here again. But be sure you get the genuine Carter's Little Liver Pill.
3: Well, friends, are you sorry I advised you to sit down before? I thought not. You still want me to go on with the story of the tell-tale heart? Very well. It's a little later that same evening... and Simon is sitting in the upper story of the old deserted mill... waiting, listening.
5: Sleep, Oliver, sleep. Aren't you ever going to sleep? Oh, I know you're lying down. I heard you getting undressed. I even heard the thread snap when you pull that button off your shirt... But you're not asleep yet. I can tell by your breathing, the way your heart's beating. And that's what I must wait for. The time when you're really asleep. When you close those hawk eyes that can see even in the dark. That could read murder in my face when I didn't know it was there myself. Wait a minute. There. Now you're asleep. And now, I must go. Easy with the jaw. Careful. And even more careful going down the stairs. Shh!
4: Don't creak like that.
5: suppose he wakes. No, he can't. He won't wake up. He can't. And, and even if he does... Uh, here we are door to his room how shall I do it those sacks he's using as a pillow but I pull them out and held them over his face and smothered him that's it yes Uh, then I wouldn't have to touch him I wouldn't who's there
4: who's there there is someone there I can see you it's Simon
5: yes it's Simon
4: what do you want what are you doing here? I know you've come to kill me.
5: Yes, Oliver. I've come to kill you.
4: Philip, you can't do that. You can't. you can't. Yes,
5: Oliver, I can. And I have to. No, oh, please, don't struggle like that. I'm stronger than you are. You can't get away from me. You can't. You can't. That noise. Hear it? your heart, beating, pounding, driving the blood through your veins. It's beating more slowly now, slower and fainter, running down like a tired clock. And I'm not going to let you go until it's stopped, so don't struggle. Don't struggle, please. Just a few seconds more. Uh, I can hardly hear it now. murmur and now even that's gone yes it's, it's stopped and you're dead Oliver listen I didn't want to do it I didn't but I had to you you're were only interested in hurting people that's why I had to do it and that's why I'm not going to give myself up or confess that I killed you because I could still help people you understand, don't you? That's why I must get rid of your body. Hide it somewhere. Oh, what am I to do with you? I know. I'll keep you here. Tear up the floor and hide you underneath it. Yeah. Let's see now. This, this crowbar. Yeah. And this one here. There. That should be big enough. And now go. Goodbye, Oliver. Goodbye. I'll just put these boards back. Nail them down again with the same rusty nails. And, and it's done. Now I'll spread this dust over the cracks. No one will be able to tell what I've done. no. Not even with your eyes. If you could still use them. What's that? A light. A lantern outside. Someone at the door. Maybe Christie's come back again. Yes? Who is it? It's Trent. The constable. The constable? What do you want? Oh, nothing much. Thought I'd drop in. Say hello. Come in, constable. Come right in. Thanks. Weird time of night to be visiting, but I uh, heard there were strangers living out here, and I thought I might... Boy, well, of course. It's part of your job to investigate strangers, isn't uh-huh. it? Yeah, way. Not that you're a stranger, exactly. What do you mean? Well, you've been around here for some time, haven't you? Up at Dr.
2: Dare's place in the
5: hill, I mean. Oh, yes, yes, of course. I, I just left there this afternoon. Uh-huh. And your friend, where is he? Sleeping? Friend? Why, there's no one here with me. I'm all alone. Look at that, Dishit. you mind if I look around? No, no, of course not. I said, I doubt your word or anything like that. Oh, no. But... no don't apologize, Constable. Go right ahead. Well, Constable? There's certainly no sign of anyone else. Well, I told you something. Yes, you did. Now. I'll just sit down here for a minute. my pipe going. No, no, not there. Don't sit there. Why yeah. Because... Uh, <laughs> well, it, it was just that the floor looked a little rotten right there. And and I was afraid that... Oh, I, I guess it's all right. Sure. Strong enough to hold me anyway. Don't stand there if I catch you. Oh, good heavens. What's that? That's what? That's... That fobbing, that noise, beating away like... I don't hear any noise. But you must, you... Ah, oh, those ears of mine. Sometimes they're too good. It's, it's just your watch ticking. Watch? I haven't got a watch on me. You... you haven't? But then what... The... Oh, look, Constable, I... I could use a bit of exercise... Suppose I walk you back to the village. Well, that's mighty nice of you. I'm glad to have your company. But there's no hurry, is there? Just let's sit here for a while and... I don't want to sit! Constable, will you come now? Now, this minute, if you don't, I'll... I, I don't know what I'll do. Hey, you have gotten yourself into a state. Is there anything the matter? Oh, no, no, of course not. It's... Oh, it's just that I get nervous, restless, and... You won't mind if I... if I walk up and down right here, will you? Yeah. If it'll make you feel any better, go ahead. Thank you. Uh, this floor, it... Uh, it is noisy, isn't it? It isn't noisy enough. Constable, this... this lever here, I... I've been wondering about it. What's it for, do you know? Oh, yes. I think it opens the sluice. Starts the mill wheel turning. It does, then... Then let's try it. See if it still works. There. Yeah, it works all right. It's quite racket! it, too. It's not loud enough still. Constable, by heaven's sake, will you come now and leave here with me? If you don't, I'll, I'll go back. Oh, look, look, there's no need to get so excited. I if I'm not excited. I'm perfectly calm and quiet. Will you come now, right away? But I told you... I know what you're doing. Sitting there, pretending you haven't heard. Making me stay here and listen to it. Beating louder and louder and louder. All right. I confess. I killed you. I killed him! His body is right underneath you under the floor. I killed him! And that noise you hear is his heart. The beating of his telltale heart. Ah.
4: Hello, Dr. Adair. Oh, Constable, hello. Well, did you find him? Yes, Doctor. I'm good Some of my boys will be bringing the other one, Oliver, along in a little while. Bringing him? Is it matter with him? Well, sort of. They were in the old mill by the river. Simon had evidently tried to kill Oliver, but he hadn't done a good job of it. He nailed him up underneath the floor... And uh, when we got him out, he was unconscious. He's still pretty weak. I see. Uh, Bring Simon in, will you? Sure. All right, Simon. In here. Yes, Constable. Now, uh, turn him around so that he's facing me. That's it. Well, hello, Simon. Hello, Doctor. Simon, why did you run away from here this afternoon? Run away? I didn't run away.
5: I left. What need was there for me to stay when I was cured?
4: Oh. And uh, what you did, or rather tried to do to Oliver? Ah, that was wrong.
5: I know it was wrong, but, but I had to do it. He was bad, Doctor, bad. He hated everyone, wanted to hurt them, and I couldn't let him.
2: You know, it's
4: strange, Constable... Two men, both mental cases because of a sudden affliction. But while Oliver's blindness made him hate, Simon's deafness filled him with love for all mankind. Deafness? You mean he's deaf? But, but, but when you talk to him, he answers you. Yes, he reads lips. That's why I had you turn him around so he was facing me. But he's stone deaf. You will never hear again.
5: What's that you are saying? Death? But I'm not deaf. Why, there's no one can hear better than I. No one. I heard everything when I left here. Things no man has ever heard before. The song of the swan. The breathing of the fish. Why, I even heard the beating of Oliver's heart. After I'd
4: killed him. Yes, Simon, of course.
6: I'm
5: not deaf, I tell
6: you. I'm not. I'm not.
3: So Simon did hear all the things he said he did. Even the beating of the telltale heart. And not with his ears, but with something else deep inside his poor, thick brain. Uh, speaking of telltale tale oh, I'm sorry, it's not a heart at all. It's just Mr. Hurley's knees knocking together. And if you think you're kidding, Raymond, you're crazy. Oh, I'm not kidding, Ed. And Mr. Carlos audiences, that's the equivalent of applause. Since everyone's generally much too scared to show the usual approval with their hands. So we won't take any chances. We'll just use words and say... Thanks, Boris Karla for your splendid performance of tonight's dramatization of Poe's The Telltale Heart. It is a pleasure, Raymond, to be able to bring our friends one of the world's most famous
5: stories. And I'm very grateful to Everett Sloan as Oliver and Santos Orteaga, who played Christie, for the help that they gave me. So now, I suggest that you listen to Ed Hurlihy, who has some helpful advice for which you may be very grateful. <laughs>
6: This is Raymond again,
3: your host, getting ready to close that door to the Inner Sanctum and say goodnight until the same time next week. Uh, In the meantime, if you care to do a little bloodthirsty reading, try this month's Inner Sanctum novel, I'll Eat You Last, by H.C. Brandon. Uh, In case you've already read that, why not try some of the other stories by the author of tonight's mystery drama, Edgar Allan Poe. According to all critics this writer has quite a future. Have oh, a good night. Pleasant,
2: huh? Inner Sanctum Mysteries will be on the air again next Sunday night, same station, same time with another chiller for thriller fans. So be with us then. This is Ed Hurley, speaking for the makers of Carter's Little Pills, and reminding you, when you don't feel good, try Carter's Little Pills the best friend to your sunny disposition.
5: This is the Blue Network of the National Broadcasting Company.
0: Okay. Inner Sanctum Mysteries, The Telltale Heart. Sarah Karloff, what did you think of that one?
1: Wow. (laughs) That's spooky. I I, I mean, Edgar Allan Poe is, of course, um, there just aren't words for his writing. Um, But that, That's just his work stands on its own, and um, I know my father loved doing anything he wrote,
0: and and
1: um, it just stands alone.
0: Well, that that script was kind of a really off derivative from the original story. I mean, it took a while before they got to the the actual heart issue,
1: yes, but nonetheless, it kept you on the edge of your seat.
0: Well, that was the idea. Um, Of course. (laughs) I asked you earlier if you thought there was any relationship with Mr. Karloff and the producer of that show, Hyman Brown. And while I was listening to it, something occurred to me. Inner Sanctum was one of the um, few radio horror shows that didn't emanate from Hollywood. It came from New York they mentioned on this show at the beginning that um, your father was appearing in Arsenic and Old Lace on Broadway. Is it possible, uh, he had to be living in New York at that time, perhaps that's the answer as to why he appeared on so many Inner Sanctums during that early period, because he was working in New York doing Arsenic and Old Lace at the time.
1: Well, probably, because it was um, convenient for everyone. He was living in Connecticut at the time, So it certainly made for a long day for him.
0: Yeah, so if he was living in Connecticut then and commuting into New York City to do Arsenic and Old Lace, he could, I guess, squeeze in a radio show every now and then while he was there.
1: Yeah, I know he commuted by train because there um, are some uh, photographs of my mother taking him to the train every day. And then he would take the train home at night. Back to Darien, Connecticut, which is where we lived at the time.
0: Um, this is not exactly related to radio, but I'm sure people who are listening to this are curious. Um, tell us a little bit about the relationship your father had with Bela Lugosi.
1: <laughs> no, it's not related, is it? No. Um, you know. <laughs> but
0: I had to ask.
1: Yeah, I know. Um, Bela and my father were—I think they were in seven films together. And um, it made for good press to say that they were arch rivals and uh, d- didn't get along. I know my father, uh, well, Bela Jr. and I are very good friends. And Bela would say the same thing as, as I say. They were, Bela being Hungarian and my father being British, they certainly had different personal interests. Um My father, of course, was a great fan of cricket, the game of cricket. He loved gardening. He was an avid reader. Uh, Bela had his own personal interests. Um, Bela, of course, had been on the Hungarian stage before he came to this country. And then he had been on the stage um, here in America. He was a trained actor. My father was not a trained actor. Uh, so they had different personal interests. But uh, I know my father had great respect and admiration for Bayless professionally. But it's not unusual that actors uh, don't socialize. They spend months, sometimes even years, uh, working together. But they don't necessarily socialize. And I, I have no reason to believe uh, otherwise um, that Bela had a great uh, professional respect for my father, but uh, it's not unusual for actors not to socialize when they're not working together.
0: Sure, that makes sense. Um, My personal favorite of the, the films that your father did with Bela was Son of Frankenstein. I think the character of Igor in that film was just outstanding, and it really made the film work with with the fact that it was now the third film in the Frankenstein series, and they could have been running out of ideas, and it could have been terrible, and it turned out to be magnificent.
1: Indeed. That was a wonderful role for Bela, and he owned that film, really. He uh, was magnificent in
0: that role. Well, I I certainly agree with that. I, no. ju- I just thought it was just a, a fantastic film from start to finish, and we're actually using the the theme song from the film as, as the opening and closing of each of these special broadcasts for this, this month's Halloween uh, tribute to your father. All right, we have one more to do on Thursday. So we will be back on Thursday with one more. Thursday will be October 27th a few days before Halloween itself and so I guess I've saved the creepiest one for last. (laughs) And that's what we'll be doing next. So until Thursday, this is John Tefteller. Thank you to Sarah Karloff for her generous time and and memories and thoughts regarding her father's career. It's very nice of her to appear here on the good old days of radio show and we will be back on thursday with one last uh boris karloff show and it'll be a really a doozy so everybody tune in for that one all right until then this is john teftiller saying goodbye